good afternoon, everyone. My name is Adrian. If you don't know who I am, I'm going to steer us through the next part uh, where we're continuing in a series we've been in since uh, September, where we've, which we've entitled Building Cultures. What we've recognized is for those of us who've centered our lives on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that not only transforms our life inwardly, it's also going to transform how we live outwardly. And what we've realized is that Jesus is a king who has a kingdom, and his kingdom is revealed through his rule and reign. And it's a rule and reign that he's longing to bring within us as a community, as a church, but also he's longing to reveal through us in wherever we're uniquely placed uh, in and around the world. And uh, so we're, we're seeking to therefore look and say, what does it look like then? What, what characterizes this culture? Now, before we get into that today, I just wanted to make uh, a couple of bits of community news, just because one of the great things about us being a church together is that actually we do like each other. Uh, we love each other and we kind of like being family. And so we kind of like living in each other's lives. And today is a really, really exciting Sunday. It's great to welcome back Mo- Moby and Yudi, who are back now married. And I wonder if you could stand and we'll congratulate them. These guys literally just flown back from Africa where they got married, have come back in uh, immediately straight in. Moby's actually doing PowerPoints and that, and just uh, this, the first service, actually, they were here, but they weren't even sat together. So he thought, actually, it'd be nice to celebrate with them together. Uh, so it's great having you guys around. The other bit is just um, to help us understand some of the, the way we're impacting. <laughs> Go on, Moby, you get back there. <laughs> um, The other way is just to kind of share something of how we're impacting not only who we are as a church, but also uh, Christianity uh, wider. We're part of a a bigger family of churches called Catalyst, as well as obviously uh, the church kind of global within the world. And just firstly, in terms of Catalyst, for those of you who are regulars, you'll know at the beginning of October, we ran an event, hosted an event called Catalyst for the Workplace, in which our desire was through that day to get people to realise that what they do in their workplace is where they're uniquely crafted to be to reveal who Jesus is and to be salt and light. And literally our two goals for that day were that people would feel encouraged and people would feel valued. And I was talking to someone who leads a different church in a different city a week or so back, and they were just sharing how someone who'd been at that conference had kind of gone back to their church, and this was their comment to it. They said, we, I went with incredibly low expectations, They said, I don't really like Christian conferences. And I thought, yeah, I I can understand that. And he said, but I've come back, and for the first time in 30 years, I feel valued and encouraged and inspired that what I do as a deputy head matters. And I just thought, one is, it was kind of a bittersweet. The sweet was amazing. 30 years, and she feels equipped and empowered in what she's doing. The bitter part was 30 years. And what I'm loving is what we're doing as a church is transforming how believers are living in the unique places that they're placed. That what we do in our workplaces, what we do in our communities, our families, our universities, isn't a side kind of product of our following Jesus. It's at the heart of what we do. It's the heart of who we are as a church. And it's transforming. Also, a couple of weeks ago, got the privilege of being at Vineyard Birmingham, Uh, They once a term do a kind of big gathering of all the different congregations and had the immense privilege of just speaking to them as a gathered company of people and and really just went and shared our heart of how we want people to understand that they're uniquely placed to be salt and light. And again, what I found is I, I went in, to be honest, thinking, man, you guys are way bigger than us. What have I got to add in here? Who am I? And left with this deep sense of courage 
of what God is doing in and through us is transforming people. The, the numbers of people who came back afterwards just saying, this has transformed how I live my life now. And I think what we're trying to do in terms of this building culture isn't something that is a jazzy title, isn't something that kind of makes us feel good about ourselves, but rather is causing people to understand that Jesus is interested in what each and every one of us does and is longing to use each and every one of us wherever we've been uniquely placed. And if you leave with nothing else, leave with that, that God loves you and God is destined for you to be where you are now, not where you could be, and is longing to use you where you are now, not where you could be. And I think that's exciting. Now, with that all in mind, I do want to continue in this series, Building Culture. Today, I want to look at how we're called to build a culture of power. Now, for me, I'm relatively old, and so when... I kind of try and live in denial of that fact, but my hair gives it away. And um, I learned to drive in the transition in the automobile industry where it was transitioning from a place of steering systems being just normal and then adding a bit which was called power-assisted steering. Now, if you drive a car now, you won't even think about it. You know that a power-assisted steering is just there because that allows you to freewheel the steering wheel. You can just look cool. You know, one arm out the window, the other hand just there, spinning the wheel around, going, look at me, look at me, reverse park. Woohoo! Now, when I learned to drive, I, I know you'll do that because I've watched you do the woohoo, that bit. Now, when I learned to drive, there was no power-assisting in my car. And so, as you can tell, I'm relatively not built up top. And so, weedy Adrian, now obviously I've bulked out a bit down here over the years, but at that point I was just skin and bones, age 17, 18, learning to drive. And it was basically like steering a cruise ship. That's what I reckon it was like. So it just, it took all of my energy just to turn around the corner. Literally, I'd break out into sweat having turned the corner. Reverse parks, I had to pause for a moment to gain the upper body strength to do what was needed to, call, to kind of turn the steering wheel. My concern is this, that in all we're looking at in terms of building God's, the culture of God's kingdom in and through everything we do, all we've been looking at in previous weeks, all we're going to look at, the, the fact that we're here to build this culture of love, of joy, of hope, of rest that we start to think, well, this is down to me. And we start to think that, oh, yeah, there is no power assistance. We've just got to get on the wheel and start steering. And the thing is, if we live that way, what's going to happen is we're going to start to work very hard. And as I often say, the harder we work, the more we sweat. And the more we sweat, the worse we smell. And therefore, it's essential for us to understand this kingdom that we're getting to reveal, this culture that we're getting to build, is a culture where there is power. That just like in our cars that we get this power assistance, actually, this kingdom that we're to reveal, there is power to assist us in doing it. In actual fact, I want us to start off by looking at something that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, in which he was revealing what this kingdom is ultimately about when he says this, 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. See, at this point, I want us to be clear, when Paul says it's not a matter of talk, it isn't that he's saying, actually, it doesn't matter about truth. You know, you have to look at the epistles Paul wrote to say this is a guy who wanted individuals to understand the reality of all that Jesus has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. I wanted us to understand the truth of God's word. But he also is one that didn't want us to think that it was then down to us. He wanted us to understand that this was a life that was being offered 
with a rule and reign within a kingdom that has power. But the thing with power is that within the day and age we live in, we can see that power is a bit of a problem. See, often the way we see power exercised within the worlds around us is often leading to oppression and is often misused. And so this leads to a great kind of skepticism in terms of anyone in power. I think, yeah, but what are their real motives? To be honest, we don't have to just look outside of the church. Unfortunately, we can look within the church and find that there are moments where power is misused, where power can can lead to oppression. And if we're not careful, we can then think, well, I don't know if I really want to talk about power because it kind of leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. But Paul wants us to understand that this kingdom that we get to reveal is one that is characterized by power. It's one that is filled with power. But it's a power that is totally at odds with the power that we see exercised in the world, with the power we've seen misused within the church. See, ultimately, this is a power that is revealed through the King Jesus, that when you look at how he lived on the earth, we find that actually the moment of conception, we're told that the power of God was present. And the moment as he goes to public ministry, we see that we hear that he's clothed in power. And what we see is that one who is revealed as one who is full of power doesn't oppress but liberates. That in all Jesus seeks to be and do is seeking to cause others to live in freedom. And isn't misused but rather is seeking to provide for others good. And see this power that Paul sees is characterized in the kingdom that I want us to see that we're to live with is actually a power that that actually reveals something totally different to the world. It's a power that's there to bring liberty. It's a power that's there that brings, that is working for everyone's good. As I go back into that passage of what Paul's saying, he says that this is a kingdom of power. We need to understand what that word power means. Now, I wouldn't normally do this. I'm not someone who quotes Greek to make myself look smarter because, to be honest, I can't kid anyone. Everyone who knows me knows I'm not that smart. But that word power here is the word dunamis. Now, why I'm saying dunamis is not because suddenly we think, okay, let's do a bit of a study on Greek. We can all go around. How are you doing on the old dunamis front? No, it's because actually from that word dunamis, we get other words that allow us to understand what is being conveyed by power. So other words we have in our language originate from this word dunamis. So we find that the word dynamite comes from this word. Dynamite, which means explosive having spectacular effect. When we're talking about the power of the kingdom, what we're to understand that this is a power that is to be explosive and have spectacular effect. It's a dynamo, an energetic force. It's dynamic. Definition, Adrian Hurst. No. (laughs) In the first meeting, it had the similar kind of effect on everyone. There was this kind of psych murmur of humouring me. No, I know, I know that's true. Dynamic, Adrian Hurst. No, dynamic, positive, and full of energy. And what's being said here is Paul saying, well, this kingdom is one of power. It's one that is explosive, having spectacular effect. It's one that is creating an energetic force. It's one that is incredibly positive and full of energy. But the thing is, it could seem, well, then... It all seems a bit mysterious, but we know that actually this power isn't something but someone. Part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, is the Spirit. The Spirit is the power that's working out God's kingdom. 
And the amazing thing is this power that Paul says characterizes and fills Jesus' rule and reign is the same power that you and I have been clothed in. That if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are clothed in this power. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power, that word dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That each and every one of us, when we centre our lives on Jesus, aren't then told, well, go on then, get on with it, try and steer without the power. No, Jesus says, now I'm going to give you everything you need to live in the good of the life that I've given you. I'm going to give you power to live in this life. And this power is the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells within you, who comes and pours upon you. Therefore, it's essential that we understand them. Well, if we're seeking to build a culture that is full and characterized by the Holy Spirit's power, then we need to understand what that looks like. And I want to briefly look at three things of how it works out into our lives. And as it works out into our lives, we find that it transforms the lives of those we come into contact with. See, what we're going to find out is that it's a power to, a power in, and a power for. So first, you want to look at a power to. Well, I'd say it's a power to live and to die. Let's start off with the live one, because the die one's not as popular. A power to live. <laughs> Colossians 1.11 says this. Paul writes again, Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. That word strengthened means continuously. See, it isn't that we centre our lives on Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. Then suddenly we say, oh yeah, now the Holy Spirit's on me, he's in me, power, get on with it, forget it. No, it's that actually we're to live lives continuously being overwhelmed, filled by this power of the Holy Spirit in order that we can live in the good of the life that we have. And we can live out of the good of the life we have. And so that continuous sense is that we get to have power to live in the reality of the, this life that we have. A power to live in the reality of the relationship we now have with God who's Father, Son, and Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells within in order that we know the reality of what we've come to see in Jesus. See, it's the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells within in order that we know that we are eternally loved. We sung that song, didn't we? Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. That isn't something we just convince ourselves by some mind trick of continuously playing over my head. If I sing this enough times, I'll start to believe it. It's rather as Romans 8 says, now the spirit comes and dwells within in order that we can cry, Abba, Father. In order that we know that God isn't a distant God, but is this loving Father who's desiring our best. The Spirit comes and causes us to live in the reality of our relationship. Also causes us to live not only in the reality of the fact we're loved, but also the reality of the fact that we're accepted. Romans 8, the beginning part, there is therefore no condemnation for those who believe. The Spirit comes and brings that reality. That actually I am eternally accepted by God who is perfect, Father, Son and Spirit. And the thing is, as we seek to live out of the power of this, it transforms how we then live. See, if you live continuously being strengthened by the knowledge of who we are and what we live in in respect to the Spirit, it transforms how we live in relation to everyone else. Because suddenly I'm not going out into the world seeking to say, how are you going to love me? How are you going to accept me? 
Because I suddenly realized that in the very core of my being, I'm more loved than accepted than I could dare to believe. Therefore, I'm freed up to not look for love and acceptance, but to show love and acceptance. Which pushes us in that, to that point of it's not only a, something that we live in, it's also something we live out. Because it transforms us. It then gives us the power we need to live out the reality of how loved and accepted we are in order that we then can start to build the culture we've been talking about. That the Holy Spirit is longing to partner with us in order that we'd know this joy and peace. In order that we'd be able to reveal rest. In order that we'd be able to reveal comfort. In order that we'd be able to reveal that sense of justice and mercy. It isn't something we work hard on. But it's rather something that's dwelling from within that we have power then to live in the good of. See, Paul says this about the reality of what we've got inside. A bit later in uh, Corinthians, he'll write and say, actually, we've got this amazing treasure of this life we have in Jesus, of this rule and reign being worked out in us, of the spirit at work in us in jars of clay. He says, there's this treasure, but it's in us as jars of clay. I don't know how you see yourself. Maybe, maybe you feel like, no, no, I think I'm more like a fine china porcelain thing. And yet the reality is, no, no, we're just jars of clay. And the reality is, as jars of clay, sometimes we clunk and sometimes we clink. Sometimes there's a, a sense of if we like, forget the treasure we've got within if we forget to allow this strength of the Spirit to work within us, to come with, from out of us, that we start to lean back in and say, well, I better be joyful today. Put the joy face on. I better seek to show someone comfort. Oh, what's going on with you then? That what happens at that point is though, yes, we have got the treasure in us, we just become this clay pot that seems to just clunk. And what happens when we start to say, no, Spirit, you're within me. And I get to partner with you throughout my day to day to be Jesus in every single way to everyone I meet. At that point, we begin to clink. We start to sing. The people can't help but think, man, that's amazing. What, what's special about you? You're just normal, but there's something in you. Oh, because there's a treasure there. So it's a power to live. It's also a power to die. 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul writes this to Timothy, the very last bit. Join with me. This is a call, isn't it? Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. See, we often think of that power as there to live. And Paul says, oh yeah, it is to live, but it's a power to suffer and die. Now, and it isn't that we to like live saying, well, okay, let's see how much of the power of God we've got in us. I know, let's get like a load of coal on the floor. Let's sight fire to it, take our shoes and socks off and kind of dance along the fiery coal going, I've got the power of God in me. I've got, I don't know what I do in American accent. No disrespect to all Americans. Let's do a very British accent. I've got the power of God in me. It doesn't sound as good, as it? Got the power of God in me. That's not what we're talking about. It isn't about putting ourselves in painful positions. It's rather saying, actually, just as you suffered, I want to suffer Jesus. How did Jesus suffer? He sought to lay down his life for everyone and everything. And he did it through the power of God. And in the same way, we need to live the same of saying, actually, I'm not seeking to gain here. I'm seeking to expend myself. 
Not out of my own energies, but out of God's, your power at working me. And your power at working me allows me to lay my life down. So it's a power too. It's also a power in. A power in that Paul reveals in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is probably my favorite verse at the moment. And Paul writes this, but he said, that's Jesus. I love that. Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That there's a power to live in and to die in, and there's a power in weakness. And in it, there's two ways that power is revealed here. It's a power that gives us provision and a power that gives us a position. And they're very unique. The first one is that power of provision, where he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The reality is this, that different points of our life, with circumstances that are going on, we can just feel like I've not got anything left. And yet I'm I'm meant to give here. I think there's often moments in my life, particularly over the past couple of months, I thought, man, I'm at full stretch here. I, I can't do any more. And then suddenly someone asks something. Suddenly an opportunity comes. And in that moment, I'm like, God, I can't deal with this. I've got nothing left. And what I find God say is this, great. That's kind of where I want you because it's not down to you anyway. Because suddenly in that moment, at my weakness, I can't do this. It pushes me to lean into God and say, God, I need you to provide everything I need to do this. And God loves to provide at that moment. And what I've found is often the weaker I feel, the more stretched I feel in a situation, the more I lean into God, the more God comes. Because in that moment, what's happening is I'm very clear on the fact this is nothing to do with me. This is me being obedient to you, God, and you providing everything I need. And only you get the glory in this. And so in our weakness, there becomes a moment of God providing. But also in this, there's a moment in our weakness, in our circumstances, in our pain, in the, maybe, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's that you're suffering illness at the moment. Maybe it's someone you love is suffering illness. Maybe it's that circumstances haven't quite gone the way you thought they were going to go. And it's in that moment that God's power wants to be revealed in a very unique way in how he positions himself towards us. And it's this phrase where it says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that phrase, Christ's power may rest on me, is actually, it's talking about Jesus kind of erecting a tent over us. There's like a moment where we, in circumstances we're facing, the weakness that we know, the frailty we feel, that in that moment, what Jesus wants to do isn't say, here's my provision, push on. It's actually, here's my provision, here's my position for you, is that I erect a tent over you. And the language that Paul's using there is pointing back to the Old Testament. And he's pointing back to that tent of meeting, the tabernacle, where it says that weird phrase, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. The deepest presence of God is to be found in that moment of feeling weak. That God longs to come and camp out with us at that point 
and to meet with us. I don't know if you have favorite Old Testament stories. My, one of my favorite ones is Moses and Joshua. There's a transition period, and you find that Joshua is just in the sidelines. You just see him every so often named, and he's just following around before Moses dies, and Joshua gets to play main game. But at that point, he's kind of just hovering around the edges of what Moses does. And it says that Moses would go to the tent of meeting to meet with God face to face. And it says in those moments, Joshua would follow on and hang out in the tent. And then there's this little bit where it says, and then Moses would leave, but Joshua remained. Joshua was formed in those moments of just being camped out with God, of just knowing his presence. For some of us here, the power we need to know is that God is longing to camp out with us in the place we're in at this moment. This isn't a moment to push through. This is a moment to allow God to come and meet with you. This is a power in weakness. And then lastly, it's a power for miracles. Power two, power in, power four. John 14, 12 says this, Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. There's a reality in this power of God's, Jesus' rule and reign breaking out that is a power that transforms us. It's a power that is to cause us to live in the good of something. It's a power that we're to know in our weakness. But it's also a power that we're to know is to do miracles. See, Jesus says this whole thing of greater things. Now, at this point, it isn't that we're to like look at what Jesus did and say, man, we're, we're going to, let's see how we can judge this thing. Let's start off with the, I don't know, water into wine. Then maybe we'll move forward and we'll progress to miraculous provision of fish. Then maybe we'll do a bit of like multiplication of lunch boxes. Then we'll like go through and we'll kind of pinnacle, let's get everyone down to Edgebaston Reservoir and walk across it. That's not what's being talked of here. The greater is the reality we're living in now. See, everything Jesus did is before he inaugurated his kingdom, his rule and reign. The inauguration of his rule and reign was actually in his death and resurrection. And what Jesus is pointing to here is saying, I'm going back to be with my father. This is post my death and resurrection, where the inauguration of my rule and reign is now established in this earth, and now it's just going to be filled until the point at which I return to say, now it's fully here. And so what Jesus is saying is actually we're to live with an expectancy that his power is longing to work through you and through me to reveal the wonder of his rule and reign in everything. And therefore we should expect miracles. We should expect things that only God can do. Now, in it, I, as I was preparing this, I felt like um, rather than tell loads of stories, I felt I actually need to do two things. One is apologize, and the second is to ask us to go for a new normal. That gets everyone's attention, doesn't it? As soon as you say, I'm going to apologize. So here's, if you're new around here, you'll be thinking, what? Well, the reality is this, that when we get stuff right we say, isn't this great? When we get stuff wrong, we say sorry. And as I was praying about this, I just felt like, for me personally, part of my responsibility within the community is to kind of be a shepherd. It's basically help and guide and protect. And I take that seriously. And then it's sometimes that you can go for things that are good. But over time, if you're not careful, good things can become bad things. 
And what I realized is there's some stuff that I've done that I think is good, but actually it's potentially limited and become bad. What do I mean by that? Well, I'd say there's two things, really. One is that I think I've wanted to make sure that we as a community are safe. Just because I recognize we have people around us who've been really burnt by church. And if we wanted to make sure that this is safe, I also recognize that we always have people around us who are trying to work out who on earth Jesus is, let alone what church is. And so I wanted it to be safe. I also wanted to make sure that people didn't get disappointed. And therefore, I didn't want to hype up anything in order that it would lead to disappointment. What I realized is that in my wanting to shepherd and to provide something that was safe and to provide something that caused people not to get disappointed is that actually I started to limit and box God. And part of what I want to say is I'm sorry for doing that because I know that God's longing is to break out. Now, it isn't that I'm then saying, let's throw away safety. I'm not saying, let's just go and just be totally crazy and nuts. Because actually, God isn't like that, is he? God always brings order where there's disorder. So evidence of God's power isn't craziness. Evidence of God's power is freedom. And what I want to say is that I'm sorry if I've limited anyone in expressing or expecting God's power. And I want us to live with a kind of new definition of saying we want to be expectant, God, of you doing the miraculous amongst us. Why? Because just who you are. And in it, I want us to therefore live with a new normal. And to illustrate this, let me continue to illustrate my own weakness. So this last week, I was with um, a guy who teaches music to two of my kids. Uh, he's a guy I get on well with, a guy who knows everything that I do in terms of church life. And we're talking. And basically, I was just talking with him, kind of doing some things to attract him more into who we are as a community. And I have no problems whatsoever in asking people to be around us as a community. I think as a community, we're pretty good at that. We've kind of done a lot of distance on this one. We've gone to kind of gone from a place of working hard of thinking, oh yeah, who am I going to invite to things? When it comes to Christmas season, we think, man, I'm not embarrassed to invite anyone because Jesus is pretty amazing. And I know when they come around Oasis, they'll realize that actually there's some other people who think he's amazing as well. Therefore, it's pretty easy. It's quite normal to invite people around us. So there's that bit that's normal. The other bit that happened is he then told me, I've got a migraine. And I was thinking, oh man, I'm preaching on the power of God, I should probably pray for him. And as I'm thinking, I'm about to say, would you like me to pray for you? One of his colleagues walks in. As his colleague walks in, I just think, man, this is going to be nuts. And so what I do is this, nothing. And I leave doing nothing. Now as I'm walking to the car, I've got the kids with me and we're chatting. In my head, I'm not doing this. Because I think what you think I might be doing is, you idiot, Adrian, what are you doing? You're a failure. Think you can lead a church. Think you can even preach in God's power and you can't even pray for a migraine. I didn't think any of that. Do you know what I thought? I thought this. God, I want to get to a point where just as it is as normal now to invite people to be around us as a community, I want it to be as normal for me to pray for people wherever they are. I want it to be for normal to invite people into your community. I want it to be normal for me to express and reveal your community. And I guess what I'm inviting us to is to that adventure. 
is to say, let's be a community that live in the reality of God's power. Now, for some of us, you're ahead of me. Please help. For many of us, I think we're in the same camp. I think if we're honest, we have many moments where we think it's normal to invite people in. I don't know how normal I feel to get it out. And for us, I say, why don't we join the adventure then? I'm saying, let's start living lives where it feels normal to expect God's power to come. I think it's great what Paul and the guys are doing over at Cannon Hill. See, what I read in the New Testament is this. God's power seems to get more revealed outside the church community than inside the church community. In actual fact, when you look at the Pentecost story, it seems to be, and this would be my short history of the whole of Christianity, is this. A bunch of people got gathered in a room. They were called the church. God's spirit gets poured out on them. They then break out of that room and then start to fill the earth. From that point on, everyone's been trying to get back in the room. God's desire and design seems to be, I don't want you in the room. I want you filling the earth. Therefore, these sort of moments are fun. They're real fun, aren't they? Getting together because you suddenly think, I'm not alone. But the point of these moments is we get to spur one another on to keep getting out of this place to cause people to see the reality and the wonder of who Jesus is. Increasingly, I identify myself like this. Who I am, Adrian Hurst, is a really good cheerleader. That's it. In my shepherding and church leadership, all I am is a really good cheerleader. And I hope I get a better one. And what I get to do is run alongside a load of other people and say, you are amazing in what you're doing. And God so wants to do even more in and through you. Do you know what? Every single individual in this room, you need to know this. This isn't me like talking blanket. This is me talking specific to you. You are amazing. And God is longing to transform more and more of your world. Not through someone else, but through you. And the great thing is I get to be a cheerleader myself. And so I get to look in the mirror and say, come on, Adrian, what adventures are we going to have today? I want a new normal. A new normal of saying, God, I expect you to move now. Just as I'd expect you to bring people in. So with that in mind, I want us to just leave two things. One is this. That this power points to Jesus. It isn't like a power that makes us think, oh yeah, Oasis' name is going to become exciting. It's not that. Is a power that always points to Jesus. Acts 3, 12 to 16. Peter and John do this incredible miracle. People are questioning, how did you do this? Their answer is, it's Jesus. All we're looking for are moments where we get to enjoy more of who Jesus is and cause others to see more of who he is. And therefore, I want to call us to build a culture of power. And as we do that, I'd ask us these three questions. The first one is, do you know this power? That's like a horrible question, isn't it? You don't want to ask those questions. Closed questions, no, no. But sometimes it's helpful, isn't it? That's a yes or no. If you don't, what do you need to do to investigate it? Come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to talk a bit more. If you do, what do you need to do to live more in this power? This isn't something that we need to live with fixes. You know, Sunday fix. No God's power. Carry on to next Sunday. No, this is a, what does it mean for me to live in God's power, moment in, moment out? And then do you need to know God's power today? That's again, like a closed question, isn't it? Yes or no? And I feel like particularly for two groups in that one, 
And in a moment, I'm just going to get stand. I'm going to pray for us and we'll see what happens. But I want to pick up on what Gus said uh, in terms of praying for people. I felt like we could probably pray for some more. But I feel like in terms of those, there's two particular groups. I, I feel like one, where you just know the circumstances you're facing. And this is a moment where you just need to know God pitching his tent over you. And just wants to meet with you in this place. The other one is, I just, it's different from the first meeting, but I just felt like there's, there's some here who just think, do you know what? I know I want to see more of your power, God. Now, I know that could be true for all of us, and it should be true for all of us, but just, I just felt like there's some here who just think, do you know what? I, I've tasted of something, but I want to see more in my workplace, in my family, in my street. And for you, I felt like um, there's, there's like an, an unlocking if you like, this is going to be a key moment of just saying, yeah, dear God, I come and I say, I'm willing to step in and step out to see more of your power in and through my life. Now, what that means is you don't have to do something. So that's kind of a hard call, isn't it? It's not like, oh, this would be a fun time on a Sunday. No, this is, a, this is going to be a crazy time on a Monday. Um, and just if, can we just stand so I'm a bit kind of, I'm starting to wear down, my battery's running out. So let's just have grace for me in this moment. Just... Can we just close our eyes, just as a way of saying, God, I'm open. Maybe you feel comfortable, put your hands out. We put our hands out for a few reasons. One is this, that it allows us to say, God, I know I come to you pure. That's the fact that Jesus, you've done it. Second thing is we come, we say, God, I come open. I'm open book to you. The third is that we say, God, I come to receive. I'm just going to pray for us and then, going to call response to those two things Jesus I just pray would you come and would you meet with every single individual here God we don't want to rely on our own ability God we want to lean in to all you have for us Holy Spirit I pray would you cause us to live in the power of you I really pray that I pray we'd be those who live deeply rooted in the identity we have in you, God, that causes us to live fundamentally different outside. I pray also that you'd cause us to live expectant of your power to do the miraculous. God, we, God I repent again. I just say, I'm sorry where I've boxed you. And we, I just say, I want you to be unboxed amongst us. We want to be expectant of you, God, to do everything and anything through us. As I said, I just want to pray those particular two groups. I just feel like if, it's, if you particularly feel in this moment you just, that sense of circumstances and you just think, God, I just need you to camp out with me. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up just as a way of kind of saying, this is me and others can then pray for you. I'll count to three so you know to do it. The other one is just that sense of you just know that You've tasted something of God's power and you think, man, I want more. And God, today I say, I want to go on an adventure with you to see how you're going to break out of my life in my day-to-day existence. If that's you, I also want you to respond. So it's those two things. If that's you, there's no call to the front. It's not magic at the front. Um, we're a community. God's with us. So one, two, three, put your hand up. Great number of people put their hands up. Um, just keep your hand up just where you are. What I'd really like to do, if you've not got your hand up, that's quite easy to identify because your hand isn't up. I'd really like you to...
go and pray for someone with their hand up. And once, if you've got your hand up, once someone's started to pray for you, put your hand down so we can know there is. Therefore, we need to move around. If I can encourage us, uh, girls with girls, guys with guys, um, if you're new around us and you think, can I pray? Yes, if you love Jesus, you can pray for someone. Um, but if you keep your hand up, we'd love to pray for you. So keep doing that. And I will make sure people get prayed for.